All right, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And then later in the service, we're going to go to Acts 16 as well. Thank you, Brother Perkle. And I do want to take the opportunity, this rare opportunity, to say thank you to our new home church for being such a blessing to us uh, over the last six months. I've uh, been treated so graciously and have been, so many have been such a blessing to us. We hadn't been, we had not joined a church in 25 years. And we had forgotten what it's like to not know anybody, know where anything is, still don't know where some things are, uh, what time things happen. And, uh, but folks have just been so gracious, especially our pastor, Brother Gaddis, and uh, just such a blessing to us. And, uh, you know, we, have just, we love our church. Amen. We love being part of Southwest Baptist Church and very thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. Set this aside. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder soul and spirit and of the, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have, let me begin again. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're going to begin with this passage in Hebrews 4. And then later in the message, we're going to go to Acts 16 to see this truth illustrated in the life of Paul. But I want to speak to you this morning on grace to help in time of need. Our Heavenly Father, I pray this, this morning that you'd bless our time together as we now have the Word of God opened Pray that as we study it, we'd see Jesus at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us to see the access that we have day and night to the throne of grace. And Father, I pray that you would help those who may be struggling, who may be discouraged, who may be dealing with various issues of life, that we would learn to take the opportunity that we are presented to come boldly to the throne of grace and get the mercy that we need and the grace we need in time of need. I pray if anyone here is not saved, that today they would understand the gospel and would turn to Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. And we do pray that you'd bless our pastor where he is this morning on vacation. Help them to have a restful and a safe time. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> our text in Hebrews teaches us that we have a great high priest. He is not a priest on earth serving in an earthly temple of stone, offering a dead animal on a brass altar. But he is our great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He is the only high priest we need, the one mediator between God and men, according to 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Our great, great high priest is the one who left heaven and came down to earth, who is conceived and born of a virgin, who lived a perfect and sinless life, 
who never thought a wrong thought, never took a wrong step, never did a wrong deed, never even had a wrong motive in his heart, the perfect and sinless Son of God. And that same Son of God went to an old rugged cross and died a voluntary and vicarious death for the sins of the whole wide world was buried three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and rose again on Sunday morning, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. We have a living Savior who has passed into the heavens and is now at the right hand of the Father as our mediator and our advocate. Furthermore, this great high priest is a sympathetic high priest. For in verse 15 it says that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And though Jesus Christ was absolutely and completely victorious over every temptation and every sin, yet he does not disdain us as sinners and he's not disgusted by us as sinners, but rather is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and, and feels the pain that we feel and reaches out to us with compassion and kindness and love and a desire to save and a desire to help. It is because of Jesus that we have this beautiful invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace. In verse 16, let us therefore, well the therefore is we have a great high priest in the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word boldly means with confident assurance. And you think back to the Old Testament. You had the tabernacle and then the temple of Solomon. You had the courtyard where the brass altar was and most of the Jews could go no further than the courtyard and the brass altar. That's as close as they could get to the presence of God on earth in the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the cherubims overshadowed the mercy seat. Then you had the priests who the closest they could get was inside the holy place, but they could go no further than the veil. They could see the candlestick, the table of incense, or the, the, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. But only one man on the earth could ever go into the most holy place and then only one day a year on the Day of Atonement and not without blood. And he'd offered first a sacrifice for himself and then a sacrifice for the people. And one day a year he could walk in with little bells on the hem of his garment and he could not stop moving. The bells had to jingle as he went in and sprinkled the blood and walked right back out. And that happened twice on the Day of Atonement. Back in, sprinkle the blood and back out. And then the rest of the year, no one else could come into the, very, the place that represented the presence of God on the earth at that time. So most of us would have been out in the courtyard or out outside and one man once a year. But you and I, because Jesus Christ has died for our sins and when he died on the cross, God rent that veil right down the middle showing that the way into the presence of God is now open through Jesus Christ. You and I, every one of us, every child of God has an instant and immediate and unlimited access into the very presence of God in heaven. I don't have to worry about guards stopping me outside the courtyard. I don't have to worry about the priest keeping me out of the holy place. I don't have to worry about the veil into the most holy place. But I, through the act of prayer and by faith, can come into the very presence of God and I can come boldly. Amen. Don't have to go through a secretary. Don't have to make an appointment. Don't need to go through a saint. Don't need to go through a ritual. 
Just go right into his presence and I can come boldly. And that's an amazing thought, isn't it? That confident assurance. Aren't you glad, by the way, that it's a throne of grace and not a throne of judgment? My sins were judged on the cross of Calvary. I will never stand before God as a sinner in need of judgment. I stand before him as a son, a servant, and a steward, but never as a sinner. Amen. Amen. And to thank God it's a throne of grace. And uh, that, that where we find the two things we desperately need on earth and we can get it nowhere else. That's mercy. And, we need, we, and by the way, do you ever need God's mercy as a child of God? And grace to help in time of need. Now go with me to Acts chapter 16. We have a beautiful illustration of this and, and uh, it, with Paul in the Philippian jail. And I know that we've, we've had this preached on recently and Brother Gaddis uh, preached on this in his introduction to Philippians and, and Brother Smith preached on it recently as well. And, uh, but you know, uh, you can't preach too much from the Word of God, can you? And we're going to use this story and go a little bit of a different direction on it. But we, we find this truth in Hebrews illustrated in Acts chapter 16. Now, for those who perhaps are visiting or maybe this is new to you. And by the way, we should never forget that, there, that in any congregation, especially this size, there are some who are hearing things for the very first time. And others who are understanding them for the first time. And those who need to be reminded of them again. Amen. And so here we find in Acts 16 that Paul and his missionary team were stalled out in Asia Minor. And uh, they, I mean, Paul, he's, he has been starting churches in this area and, and he starts to go north and the Holy Spirit says no. And so he starts to go east and the Holy Spirit says no. And he begins to go south and the Holy Spirit says no. And so Paul, as sensitive as he was to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, he finally says, well, God won't let me go north. He won't let me go east. He won't let me go south. I think I'm just going to park it here until he tells me where he wants me to go. By the way, it's never wrong to wait until you have God's clear direction. Sometimes waiting by faith is harder than walking by faith, though, isn't it? And so he stops. And I'm sure he told his missionary team, we're just going to wait until the Spirit of God gives us clarity on where we should go. And then that night he receives the vision of the Macedonian man. And the Macedonian man is crying, come over and help us. And so Paul immediately understood that God was leading them to cross from Asia Minor into Europe from east to west. And they departed into Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, and went to the chief city there of Philippi. And as Brother Gaddis explained a few weeks ago, it was a Roman colony, a Roman city, very like a little Italy in northern Greece. And there was a very tiny Jewish presence in that city. In fact, there, was, there weren't even enough Jewish heads of household to have a synagogue in Philippi. And so the, the few that were there, they would go down to the river and they would have a time of prayer. Well, Paul's normal missionary method was to go to the synagogue and preach there first and, uh, and, and, and present Christ. And then he usually had some converts from that and some Gentile converts. And then he would start a church. But here there's no synagogue, so he has to change his tax, tactics and he goes down to the river. And there he meets Lydia and Lydia gets saved. Amen. Now here's the, I don't know if irony is the right word, but he's looking for the Macedonian man. She's neither, she's neither a man nor Macedonian. <laughs> she is from Thyatira in Asia Minor, where he just came from. 
So he's looking for the Macedonian man. Instead, he finds a Thyatiran woman and she gets saved and she gets baptized and her whole household gets saved and baptized. And, and, uh, and must have been wealthy. She's a seller of purple, which was a, a very uh, lucrative industry at the time and has a nice house apparently where Paul and his team are staying. And then we find in Acts 16, in fact, let's begin reading in verse number, oh, verse number 15, verse 16, I'm sorry. It came to pass as we went to prayer. Now, I think they're going back to that same place of prayer at the riverside. Uh, you need guys fish and you have, you know, you caught a fish at one spot, a big fish. So now you want to keep going back there, see if there's any more. Amen. Found a good honey hole. And uh, so he's, Lydia got saved. I'm going to go back there and see if there's anyone else who can get saved. Amen. And so he, that, that's what I think it means. He's going to the prayer time. And, and as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. Now, this is not who you want advertising for you when you are evangelizing a city for the first time. <laughs> you do not want, I mean, you don't want demons advertising with you and then you become associated with the occult, right? I mean, if you're out soul one and you don't, you don't want one of these guys wearing the marijuana leaf shirts and, and waving the marijuana banner going around saying, hey, listen to what this guy has to say. You don't want that association, do you? And he didn't want to be associated with witchcraft and the occult and the soothsaying and the demon, uh, demon works that were going on in Philippi. And, but she's following him day after day. And finally, in verse, six, uh, verse 18, it says, But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Well, that's good for her, not so good for her masters. And so, verse 19, When her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, these men being Jews, and you note there the little bit of anti-Semitism that was present in that Roman colony. These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them. And here you got mob rule. You don't have Roman law, you've got mob rule. And the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the innermost prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, it's important to note before we move on with this, this part of the story that the whole proceeding was unjust, illegal, and unfair. In fact, Paul is going to make a point of this at the end of the chapter. And I think sometimes we skip over what I find to be a very humorous ending to the story. Uh, look, 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 look at verse number uh, 34, verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. Now they've, they've calmed down. They've realized, you know, we really didn't have the right to do this. The guys took a beating. They spent the night in jail. Let's just go and let them go. 
Verse 36, the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned being Romans and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily let them come themselves and fetch us out. You see Paul sitting on his prison bunk and they say, hey guys, you can go. Excuse me? Silas and I, we're Roman citizens. We have Roman rights. You beat us openly and threw us in prison. You're just going to have a sneak out of town? No, no. You tell the magistrates they need to come and, they need to come and escort us out. I just kind of like that, amen? It doesn't really fit into the sermon. I just like it. Actually, it does fit in because we're going to be talking about how we handle unjust, unfair things. Paul was, was unjust and even illegally dealt with. And yet he responded as a Christian should. Now, Paul and Silas took a beating. They beat their backs and they were thrust into the innermost prison and their feet in the stocks. And, and I, I think it'd be best for us to illustrate that when I, I used to preach and I'd, from this passage and I'd have a teenager or somebody come up and I'd have them put their feet on a chair to, ele to illustrate how the stocks would elevate their feet off the ground. Then you got a picture of their backs being beaten bloody having to lay back on their backs or on their elbows or their feet up in the air without being able to get in any sort of a comfortable position with open wounds on a dirty floor and just the misery of that situation, the pain that was involved in that situation, the, the inability to get in a comfortable position. And yet we find at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. So you can lock Paul and Silas into the innermost dungeon and put their feet in the stocks and lock all the doors, but you can't keep them from going boldly to the throne of grace. Nor can you keep the grace of God from coming down through the doors into that innermost prison and, and helping them in their time of need. By the way, I think it's important we notice the order of verse 25. I think we, we like to emphasize the fact that they sang. And if, and if many of us had been there, we'd have been singing the blues, wouldn't we? Nobody knows. I better not sing. I don't, I'll, I'll end up on a group or something, you know. I sing best tenor, 10 or 12 miles away, man. We'd have been singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But they weren't singing the blues, were they? They were singing praises to God, weren't they? But what came before that? They prayed. Maybe the reason we don't have a song in the midnight hour and the reason we don't have that joy that is supernatural is because we are not taking advantage of our access to the throne of grace and praying and then the song will come. Paul, they're sitting, I, I imagine, in pitch darkness. Silas, let's pray. And Paul, I don't really feel like praying. We're gonna, that's when we need to pray the most. Silas, why don't you get us started? And Silas prayed. And then Paul prayed. And grace came from heaven into the innermost prison. And Paul said, let's sing, Silas. What do you want to sing, Paul? Let's sing praise to God. And they began to sing a psalm, I believe, of praise to God. You know who's listening in the darkness of the prison? 
the prisoners, and who, I, who else I think could probably hear them was the jailer in his office. God's grace in a time of need. Allow me to make four points today on grace to help in time of need. Number one, God can give grace to rejoice when it would be easy to be discouraged. God can give grace to rejoice when it would be easy to be discouraged. There's a natural tendency to think that if we just do the right thing, good things will follow. But, some, but reading our Bibles, we find that sometimes doing things God's way and doing things in the will of God leads us into uncomfortable and difficult situations. These men were following the clear will of God and doing the work of God and witnessing and seeing people saved and baptized and the nucleus of a church coming together and, and we're just out trying to find more souls to lead to Christ when, and, and then just a good deed and casting a demon out of a girl and for that they are beaten and put in prison. Life can be discouraging, can't it? Especially when you feel like you've done the right things and you've given your tithe and your offering and you've prayed and you've got your life cleaned up and you're trying to be faithful to church and involved in ministries and, and, and yet people don't always exactly appreciate it. And sometimes difficulties come into our lives. The question is not whether difficulties will come, but how will we respond? Are we going to wallow in self-pity? Someone has said that self-pity is crying on the devil's shoulder. Rather than wallowing in self-pity, why not take advantage of the open invitation God has given us to the throne of grace where we have a Savior who is sympathetic to our needs, who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who cares about us and has grace that can turn a prison cell into an opportunity to sing and witness Amen. to those around us. Amen. Well, life is hard. We all know that. Everyone, all adults know that. And most of the teenagers know that. Amen. Life is hard. Some of the kids know it too. But we have God, a God who has grace that can help us rejoice when it'd be easy to be discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged this morning and, and, and uh, you know, maybe you're in a sort of a prison. You feel like yourself. Well... Nothing in your life can keep you from praying to God and getting the grace you need during this time of need. Number two, God gives grace to stand when it would be easy to run. Grace to stand when it would be easy to run. Notice verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands we're loose. Do you ever read the Bible and ask yourself, what would I do in that situation? You're in prison, your feet are in the stocks, all of a sudden the earth is shaking and your stocks fall open and everyone's handcuffs fall off and the chains all open and the door is now slightly ajar. What would you have done? Happy trails to you. I hope we don't meet again. Amen. <laughs> Wouldn't you have been tempted? Well, God's opened the door. I'm getting out of here. Didn't Peter do that in Acts 4 or 5? I mean, I, but I, so why did Paul stay? Why did Paul stay? Well, I have to believe that Paul, who is so sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the chapter, was just as sensitive to his leadership here at the end of the chapter, and that somehow he knew that God was doing something 
and he needed to stay and see what was happening. Amen. Well, I, I don't know what's happening in America right now. I, it, I think we can all feel the tremors, can't we? But is God still on the throne or not? If God is doing something, then it is time for us to stand and see what God's doing. Amen. Let us not run when, the, when things start shaking, but let us stand and see what God is doing. Let us be found faithful. You know, I, I thank God for a pastor whose service after service after service stands here in this pulpit with his open Bible and just preaches, thus saith the Lord. And preaches the Word of God, whether it's politically correct or acceptable to our society or not. He just preaches what the Word of God says. And the least we can do is say amen when he does so. Amen. I thank God for a pastor who, when things are shaken in our country, has determined just to take a stand and stand there and see what God does. Well, let us do the same thing. Let us stand and see what God does. Let us keep serving and see what, God's, what God does. Let us keep preaching and see what God does. Let us keep running the buses and see what God does. Let us keep sending out the missionaries and see what God does. Let us keep sending the money out and see what God does. Let us keep training preachers and missionaries and servants of God and see what God does. Let us start another church and see what God does. But let us not, when God is at work, in ways we cannot perhaps understand, let us not become unfaithful or give up our stand for Jesus Christ. God can give grace to stand when it would be easy to run. And that's big picture. We think about our nation and the world, but what about on our personal level? We all, I think, face times and situations when it would be easier to quit and run than face the problems that are presenting themselves to us especially if we find ourselves already in an uncomfortable situation that we'd rather not be in, and especially if we consider that it was unjust and unfair for us to be there in the first place. But if we're in the will of God, we need to spend time at the throne of God, getting the grace of God, so that we can stand when it'd be easy to run from our problems. Someone is counting on you to stand. Look at verse number 27. The keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. This jailer knew that if the prisoners escaped his care, that his life would be forfeit. And he preferred to end it quickly himself than to trust himself to the tender mercies of the Roman government that he had seen firsthand. So I picture him with his sword and the butt of it against the wall, and the point of it underneath his breastbone, and he is literally one second away from an eternity in hell. He is just trying to summon up the courage to just fall forward on his sword. When all of a sudden the man who wouldn't run, standing there, says to him, do thyself no harm. We're all here. You see, that man's eternity was depending on someone standing when it would have been easy to take the open door and run away. Can I say to you that someone is counting on you to stand? Dads, life can get hard, but your family needs you to stand when it'd be easy to run. Don't abandon your family when things get hard. 
My mother, her father abandoned them when she was just 14 years old. You know, that sent her whole life into a tailspin for many years to come and affected her, all of her family. Don't do that to your family. Ladies, mothers, wives, don't abandon your husband and your kids pursuing some selfish ambition or some selfish desire. Just because things are hard does not mean you need to take an open door of escape. You need to stay put and do the will of God in your family. Kids, things may get hard and you, know, and you may think, I can just run away. But you, you're not going to run away from your problems. You're going to run away into more problems. Stay in the will of God and stay where God wants you to be. Hey, don't give up that class or that nursery position or that bus route because things are hard in your life right now. Just stand and stay faithful and see what God might do in the days and weeks and months ahead. God can give grace. So I just don't know how I can handle this. That's why you need something supernatural in your life. Aren't you glad that there's an open invitation to the throne of grace where a sympathetic Savior sits at the right hand of the Father who's touched with the feeling of your infirmities and says, come boldly with confident assurance and get the mercy and the grace you need in time of need. So God can give grace to stand when it would be easy to run. Thirdly, God can give grace to forgive when it would be easy to resent or even to hate. In verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now, I don't know, I, I can't prove that the jailer is the one that put the stripes on his back. I, I think the wording of it is that the magistrates commanded him to, be, to them to be beaten and they laid stripes upon them. Then they charged the jailer. Was the jailer the one that put the stripes on his back? Possibly. But he certainly represented the entire unjust system, didn't he? And don't you th can't you sense a little bit of maliciousness? Take these Jews and make sure they're put away. Say, fine, come here, you dirty Jews. I'm grab and he takes them with their bleeding backs and takes them into the innermost prison and throws them down on the ground. The Bible says he thrusts them into the innermost prison, throws them down on the ground, claps their feet in the shackles, slams them shut, and says, enjoy your night. I mean, can't you sense a little bit of maliciousness in his attitude towards these Jews who are causing trouble? You think there was a little bit of meanness involved? I think so. Does he not represent the entire unjust system? Here Paul and Silas just doing God's will. Roman citizens supposed to be protected by, with Roman rights. And yet here this system, these magistrates and this mob have thrown them into prison and this jailer with malicious glee has locked us into the most dirty and darkest place there and put their feet in the stocks just to add insult to injury and just left them there in the darkness. Couldn't you say that Paul might sit there and say, that jailer represents all that I'm suffering. I hate his guts. Man, if the door's open, the chains are off, I'm out of here. And if he's, he's about to fall on his sword, too bad. You get what you deserve, buddy. Couldn't you see that being an attitude that some people might have in, in the same situation? Might not that be the natural man's response? Isn't part of the works of the flesh hatred? It's not in the fruit of the Spirit, is it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first part. And so you find this man who is, uh, who has, 
at least represented, perhaps even, I believe, added to uh, with the malicious attitude and the behavior towards Paul. And yet Paul, when he sees this man at the point of, of killing himself, stops him with a loud voice. He didn't just whisper, hey, hey, look at that guy over there. He says, stop. Do thyself no harm. We're all here. I just see here that God can give grace to forgive when it would be easy to resent and perhaps even to hate someone for what they have done to you in your life. Perhaps even hate the whole system and find someone that you think represents it and hate him or her. I'll tell you this, you won't find hatred, resentment, bitterness, or unforgiveness among the nine different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But they are part of our sinful, depraved, fallen flesh. That flesh that you and I still have in our, in our, our nature because we're not, we, we have been regenerated. If you're saved, you've been regenerated, but we still have the old flesh nature present, don't we? Yeah. I believe, and, I, and I, again, I don't really know folks in this church that well yet. I've only been here six months, and I'm not looking for gossip. But I did pastor for 20 years, and that gave me a pretty good idea, cross-section of what people go through as Christians in life. And I've seen many Christians harboring resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred. And many times they're out of church. And sometimes they're in church. I, and I think all of us can say this. We've seen people who are resentful and bitter towards their parents. Men resentful and bitter towards their wives. Isn't it interesting that Colossians, God actually had to put in writing for us, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. God wouldn't have put that there if that wasn't a problem that men ever had to deal with. And some men are bitter toward their wives. Sometimes wives are bitter towards their husbands. And it shows. Sometimes they're bitter towards their children. Children haven't turned out the way they wanted or they don't have a good relationship. And there's a, there's a resentment there. There's bitterness there towards their children. Sometimes they're bitter towards their church or a church in their past. Or they're bitter towards their pastor or a pastor in the past. Can I say to you this morning, it is not worth being bitter towards your pastor. You need your pastor in your life. And you don't want to let anything come between you and your pastor because he's a very important person in your life. And your pastor loves you. And Brother Gaddis is the most gracious man I've ever known in my life. And there's no reason for us as members to ever allow any resentment or bitterness between us and our pastor. You're only going to hurt yourself. Resent, uh, people are resentful toward their employers or past employers, their neighbors, former friends, former pastors, former church members. I've seen it over and over again, but I've never seen bitterness, resentment, or hatred make anyone's life better or bring any glory to God. Bitterness, resentment leads to bitterness. You want to know where, where bitterness gets started? You resent something. Or someone. 
You didn't get what you wanted. You didn't get what you deserved. You got what you didn't deserve. Someone didn't treat you right and you resent it. And that resentment takes root and becomes bitterness and bitterness wraps itself into your soul. The roots of bitterness spread and it's hard to get out once you've let it spread. But it's worth it's harder to keep it in and allow it to stay. Bitterness rots. Bitterness causes division. Bitterness steals your joy. Bitterness saps your strength. Bitterness makes you hard to live with. Bitterness will turn you into an old crank. And it's not necessary because you have access to the throne of grace where a sympathetic Savior who is mistreated, despised, and rejected is touched with the feeling of your infirmities, who loves you, who cares about you, who has given you an open invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace and get the grace you need in time of need. So I'm just, I, I can't give up this resentment. You can't hang on to that resentment. Not if you want to have any joy, strength, and, and be useful to God. You've got to let it go. You've got to get rid of it. Yesterday is heavy. Why carry it any longer? Some of us are carrying years worth of yesterdays. Why not leave them behind and enjoy the present that God has given you now? Why not be like Joseph who, who is as, as abused and mistreated as anyone has ever abused and mistreated by his own family and yet he was forgiving towards his brothers and was not going to carry that throughout his life and allow that to ruin his spirit. Now, I know, that, again, I pastor for 20 years. I know the kinds of things that and you can bring up a thousand uh, uh, examples that I would weep over of people being abused and mistreated. And, I, and I'm not justifying any of those things that have happened in the past. I'm just saying for your own benefit to learn to go to the, the throne of grace and get the grace you need so that you don't have to go through life with resentment and a victim mentality. But you can be an overcomer in Christ and enjoy the joy and the fruit of the spirit in your life. Nothing I do today can change what happened back then. But I can make some decisions now and get the grace I need now to move forward in my life. Can I tell you that my, I mentioned my mother earlier and I appreciate those who have prayed for her. She's dealing with cancer again and, and she's going through intravenous treatments which are not painful and, and so much better than chemo that she'd been through before and thank God for that. And she has a good prognosis for the future. My mother got saved when she's in her 40s. Okay, I got saved first. I was a teenager. And I led my mother to Christ when I graduated high school. And then my brother got saved. My dad got saved. My parents are still in the same church 30 years later and, in Weatherford. And my mother got saved. And, and, uh, and there was a real change in all of us, as there should be. I mentioned that her father abandoned the family many, many years before. She and her, oh, I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong, but in her 50s, I, I would say, she, through the internet, found her father living in California. Reached out to him. Went and visited him. And forgave him for leaving her and her brother. And all that that had caught, the, the chain reaction of that. And you know what he said to her? She said, I, he, she said, why have you tried to get in contact? I didn't think you'd ever want to talk to me again. Was it like nothing had ever, of course not. Was there, was there, uh, but what there was, was a, there was something. There was some restoration, amen? But you can't carry that resentment forever, that hatred forever. You're a child of God. God has forgiven you. You've got to learn to forgive others. 
You say, that's, that's not natural. I just can't do it. No, it's not natural. It's supernatural. But aren't you glad there's a throne of grace and a sympathetic Savior, our high, great high priest at the right hand of God who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and wants to give us mercy and wants to give us grace to help in time of need? Why not take advantage of that? Who knows? You're sitting in a stocks of resentment and bitterness. Who knows? You start praying and singing praises to God. Maybe God will, send, maybe God will just break that away. And you look back on it and say, why did I ever live with that for so long? Why did I allow that in my life for so long? I don't ever want to go back to that again. So I just see in Paul this, even though his back is bloody and he's forced to lie on his back in the dirt in this innermost prison, yet he was not bitter or resentful towards the jailer. He, was a man, he had compassion. And because of that, the man got saved and his family got saved and became part of that great Philippian church that we read about. So God gives grace to rejoice and be easy to be discouraged. God gives grace to stand when it'd be easy to run. God gives grace to forgive when it'd be easy to resent. And then lastly, God can give grace to save any sinner that will believe in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Find this man at the point of death. Verse 29, it says, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Isn't that a beautiful passage? What must I do to be saved? A man who a few, a few seconds ago at the point of eternity, what must I do to be saved? Oh, it's so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not might be, not hopefully be, but shalt be saved. And the man took him in and, and listened to the word of God. He got saved. His whole household got saved, brought his wife in. Mrs. Jailer came in. Mrs. Jailer got saved. Jailer Jr. got saved. Sally Jailer Jr. got, uh, Sally Jailer Jr. got saved. The whole household got saved. Grandma was there. She got, I'm making all that up. But the whole household got saved. The whole household got saved and baptized. And can you, can you just picture in your mind this man that had so cruelly thrust them into prison the night before? A few hours later, Paul has his shirt off and the man is tenderly wiping away the dirt and grime and rocks out of, his, out of the wounds in his back and, and tenderly bend, putting a, a, a balm upon those wounds. And the hands that had been so cruel are now so helpful and healing. And see the instant change. Now they're sitting around the breakfast table eating. And Paul says, all right, now take me back to my jail. I'm going to wait for these sergeants to come try to, get, but try to let me out. But you, you see that there's grace for any sinner to be saved. Even a malicious, possibly anti-Semitic, mean-spirited jailer can get saved. Amen. And you can get saved this morning. If someone brought you as a visitor or a guest, if you just dropped in, someone left you a track, if you're watching online and you say, man, I've never been saved, I've never had the grace of God to salvation, what do I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And who knows, you get saved, it might lead your wife or your husband to get saved, your kids to get saved, your grandkids to get saved, your parents to get saved. Who knows where it might end up? But it starts out with you making a decision, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So we have a great high priest in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. There's a throne I can come boldly, even in midnight hour, even in a locked prison cell. 
And I can come boldly and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So are you discouraged this morning? We've all been there. Have you gone to the throne of grace? Get out of the self-pity. That's not going to help you. The throne of grace will help you. Are you harboring resentments or hatred or bitterness? Let it go. Give it up. Are you tempted to run when you ought to stand? Let's stand and see what God's doing. And if you're not saved, why not get saved today? Why not get it settled today? Why not walk the aisle and get it settled this morning? So that's so far to walk. It's not that far to walk. Make the distance, but trust Christ as your Savior. Let us take the Bible and show you how to get saved. I wouldn't, let, I wouldn't go to hell for anything if I thought I was going to hell. I'd want to get it settled this morning. And there's a Savior that wants you to get saved and a church that wants you to get saved. The only one that doesn't want you to get saved is the devil. And who cares what he thinks? Amen. So get it settled this morning. Amen. Thank God for a great high priest in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless now the invitation time. I pray that you'd work in our hearts. If there's someone here that is facing or dealing with, perhaps even locked into uncomfortable circumstances, Lord, give them strength, give them grace. Help them to turn their hearts to you. Help them to seek your face. Give us the strength to stand when it's easy to run. Help us to overcome resentment and enjoy peace. Help us, Lord, to have forgiveness in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to have the grace we need to be encouraged when it's easy to be discouraged. And Lord, if there's someone here that's not saved, I pray that today they'd, they'd make that most important of all decisions and say yes to Jesus Christ. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.